This week on the 624, we find out, did plants help us to develop our own lungs? And also, why can't evolutionists just tell us, don't worry, we just haven't found the answer yet. That's coming up on the 624. Let's get started. Welcome to the 624, the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries, taking a stand on God's word and trusting it from the very first verse. Join us as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. Welcome to the 624. My name is Dave Napier. I am the host of the podcast and founder of the Central Texas Creation Ministries and the Central Texas Creation Conference. I am glad that you're hanging out with me today. I know you guys have a choice. I get it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and spending your time with me. I uh, hope you guys had a good weekend. You know I had a good weekend. I had a good learning lesson this weekend. And <laughs> my learning lesson is that I need to fix my watch. Uh, not that it's broken. Nope, it's not broken. As a matter of fact, it said it gives me too many choices and they are not well placed. Uh, what I found is this may or may not have happened. Uh, you meet with somebody and you're talking with someone that you want to impressed that you want to, you know, uh, have a good conversation with. And after that conversation, you look down and you realize that on your Apple watch, if you slide a certain way, you can change the watch face. And what David has noticed over the last couple of months and yet never fixed is that every so often he's talking to somebody, they walk away and he looks down and Andy from Toy Story is on his watch face. And you think, oh my gosh, did they see that and think that that's the watch face I want on my watch? Uh, that's happened to me because apparently the watch face I use is sandwiched between Andy from Toy Story and Mickey Mouse. And so <laughs> Dave has learned now he should A, either go ahead and just take those watch faces off or B, check his watch face before he meets with people that he wants to impress or doesn't want to um, make them think that he likes uh, the Toy Story that much. So I've learned a, an important lesson this weekend. So I hope that that helps you. And I hope that I actually fix that so that that doesn't happen again. So, but anyway, we're going to get into the topic of plants and how they develop air networks. Now, this is a really cool topic. Uh, the, the article title does not exactly do it justice because it has absolutely nothing to do with the second half of this title. Here's the title. Scientists discover how plants breathe and how humans shaped their lungs. Wow. Now, that's an article I had to read. I had to check this out. Now, here's a little tagline. I always give you the tagline. Experts reveal how plants provide a steady flow of air to every cell. Study shows humans have bred wheat plants to have fewer pores on their leaves and use less water. Findings pave the way to develop more drought-resistant crops. Now you think about it, the tagline has absolutely nothing to do with the title of the article. The whole, uh, how humans shaped their lungs. Well, that's because the article doesn't really talk about that, but apparently... We want to make sure that we get this evolutionary bent in there, even though it has nothing to do with it. The article really doesn't discuss it. Let me read you just a little bit about this. Basically, the concept is they've been studying plants. Now, leaves have stomata, which are basically pores. 
they create a network of air. And so they get air to all the different cells, almost like we get air uh, to and from our lungs, not necessarily just from the, the main arteries and stuff, the blood coming in, but uh, oxygen getting out of the lungs. There's these little tubes that, that attach to our lungs. So this is really cool. There's a common design here that is actually really cool. And it talks about how, depending on how many pores there are on the leaf itself, will affect how the air network is created and how it's shaped. It, it is interesting stuff. And then it goes on to say, uh, it goes on to say this. Well, I'll read you this part. It says, in collaboration with colleagues at the University of Nottingham and Lancaster University, they showed that the movement of CO2 through pores most likely determines the shape and scale of the air channel network. So they've actually been doing experiments seeing how this channel or the channel network is affected based on the air that's coming in, how much CO2 is in it, all this kind of stuff. Because obviously plants bring in CO2 and then create oxygen. Uh, of course, we're supposed to be scared of CO2, right? Because of rising CO2, we're all going to die from climate change. Of course, plants need CO2. They take in CO2, but that's, that's not important. Let's, we got to remember that. Anyway, uh, so it goes on to say this, the discovery marks a major step forward in our understanding of the internal structure of a leaf and how the function of tissues can influence how they develop, which could have ramifications beyond plant biology in fields such as evolutionary biology. Ta-da! That's where it comes in. That's it. That's the only mention of how humans shaped their lungs. This is crazy. It's just one of those things where you have to pay homage to evolution in every science article. Otherwise, nobody takes you seriously. You have to pay homage to uh, evolution because that's when people start to take notice. Because if your scientific discovery doesn't really cure cancer or anything, uh, and it doesn't really have anything to do with evolution probably not going to get that many eyes on it. Probably not going to have that many people read it. But man, every time you throw an article title out there and how humans shape their lungs, woo, there we go. Now we're talking about evolution. Now we've, we're trying to figure out, the, or, or we're trying to increase our understanding of evolution. And it goes to an interesting concept of either common design or common ancestry. And we'll talk about this on a podcast later. But the concept is when evolutionists see this, look, there's a network of air channels, a lot like the human body. We, they say, aha, see, it's common ancestry. See, the humans developed from plants or from a common ancestor of plants, and that's why they have some kind of um, a similar design, some kind of similar uh, attributes. Now, with us as a creationist, we would say, well, yeah, it makes total sense. If you have a good design, why throw it away? If it works in different applications, why get rid of it? Just use it. We do this in mechanics and engineering all the time. We use good designs over and over again. And so uh, we look at other things uh, from different fields and say, wow, that really works well for that one. Uh, I wonder if I could use this in my field. So we use this common design uh, in a lot of areas of life. And yet, for some reason, it doesn't work for humans and animals and plants. Why? 
because evolutionists have thrown out God from the very beginning. They have refused to allow God to be the answer. And so they set up tests. They set up uh, ways of thinking. They set up concepts that will only give material answers. There's no way in science to get a divine answer or to get a miracle. It's just, it's set up so that you can't do that. And that's where evolutionists go wrong. So uh, check out this article. I'll link to it on my website. It's a really cool article. Again, this is one of those things where they're doing good operational science looking at plants. Now, here's what, why, I keep saying, why I said it's good operational science. Because what they're using is the information that they've gained, basically doing, I mean, they're doing like CAT scans and, you know, CT scans and things like this of the plant leaves to understand how they're using the air channels, how the number of pores affect it. People have actually bred wheat plants, so that they have fewer pores. Now, what this does is it makes it more drought resistant. This is good operational science because if we can continue to do that with other crops, then we can continue to make more crops that are drought resistant so that we can have food in uh, harsher climates, so that we can have food in harder times when the, the weather isn't cooperating. This is good operational science that can make our life better, that can, be, can do good things. So check out this article. Like I said, I'll have a link on my website at centraltexascreation.com. And be in prayer for these scientists as they try to make improvements based on this research so that we can have more drought-resistant crops so that we can feed people that are starving in third-world countries and second-world second world countries. You know what I mean. So that we can feed more people in uh, drought areas and in harsher climates, things like this. This is good operational science that could really help our lives. Well, this week we're asking the question, why can't evolutionists say, uh, just wait, we just haven't found the answer yet? It's a good question. Why can't they say this? Well, this is the favorite answer these days for the question, where did all the information come from? Now, why are we saying this? Why, why are, excuse me, why are they saying this? It's because they don't have a better answer, to be honest with you. Uh, they don't have uh, the right answer, and so they have to accept what they have. And they can't and will not accept the alternative, is, which is that God created us. Now, at first, it seems like a reasonable answer. All right, we just haven't found the, the correct answer. We just haven't got the right information. We haven't gone far enough. We just need to wait. That seems logical. But I think, I think there's more to it. And I believe that evolutionists cannot say this about where did all the information come from. So let's talk about that question, where did all the information come from, so you understand why I say that. So evolution, at its very core, is an information-gaining process, okay? No matter whether you say amoeba to man or bacteria to biologist or goo to you by way of the zoo, whatever colloquial term you want to use to describe uh, biological evolution, which is what we're really talking about, biological evolution, because uh, if you just say evolutionists, inevitably, some evolutionists will come along and say, well, that's not all evolution is, blah, blah, blah. Okay, biological evolution, uh, good to you by way of the zoo, whatever you want to call it. When you talk about evolution, it is an information gaining process. So no matter what the mechanism is, 
no matter what process you find, no matter what you want to call it, we have to see a process that is a gain of new information that leads to a new function or new body part or something to that effect. Okay? Understand that if evolution is true, we shouldn't, not only should we find a process that gains new information in our DNA, okay, because your, your body has an instruction book. Your body has an instruction book called DNA. It is written out telling you exactly what you look like, exactly how to build you, how to repair you, everything. Your DNA is a Home Depot book, all right? And so if evolution is true, we have to not only find this process that gains new information with, with the ability to have new functionality. Now understand, new functionality, not just a, a modification of one that you already had. New functionality, not only do we have to have that, we have to see it over and over again. We can't just find one example of this. This should be happening all the time, all over the place. Now, as far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, the staple answer from evolution has been mutations and natural selection. Now, when we look at this question, where did all the information come from, and we look at the evolutionist answer, there's always a danger. And that danger is every time you explain what one evolutionist has told you about mutations and uh, natural selection, or really any answer or any question of the sort, as soon as you explain what you've been told, there'll be another evolutionist that'll say, no, 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 you got it wrong. No, I, we be I believe this. And so then there's this constant changing. Now, not it's not a conspiracy or anything like that. It's just that we, we all understand things differently many times. We do that in Christianity. We do that in science. We do that everywhere. Uh, so this will happen. So what I normally like to do is go to a website called Understanding Evolution. It is by Berkeley University. So you want to find something that is reputable, that can explain evolution, so that when you're talking about it, you have a basis to talk about. So if you go to Understanding Evolution, uh, Berkeley University, which is not just a small little unknown university, everyone knows about it, they say this, that mutations are a change in DNA, the hereditary material of life. It's an, organi an organism's DNA affects how it looks, how it behaves, how it, and its physiology, all aspects of its life. So a change in an organism's DNA can cause changes in all aspects of its life. They go on to give you a couple of different things about mutations to help you understand them. The first one is mutations are randoms. <laughs> uh, mutations are random. It says, uh, mutations can be beneficial, neutral, or harmful for the organism, but mu mutations do not try to supply what the organism needs. In this respect, mutations are random. Whether a particular mutation happens or not is unrelated to how useful that mutation would be. So, number one, mutations are changes in DNA, uh, it is, which is the hereditary material of life. Okay, it affects how it looks, how it behaves, its physiology, everything. The second thing is mutations are random. Uh, the, the animal or the, the organism doesn't try to change itself. These are just random changes that happen that have nothing to do with needing to do this or wanting to do that. They are completely random. And the last thing is not all mutations matter to evolution. 
It says, since all cells in our body contain DNA, there are lots of places for mutations to occur. However, not all mutations matter for evolution. There are mutations called somatic mutations that occur in non-reproductive cells and won't be passed on to offspring. And so not all mutations actually get passed on and not all mutations, even when they're in the reproductive cells, not all mutations will be passed on because of how uh, the DNA is split and then put together in the child. Uh, interestingly enough, this a total aside, and I just went down a rabbit trail, I was reading that uh, I think... I think almost half of our the DNA in our body, this is this is kind of gross, but that's why I think it's cool. Uh, over half the DNA in our body is not our own, and a lot of it comes from the the gut uh, bacteria, good the gut bacteria and stuff that we have inside of us that helps us. Uh, but like half of the DNA we have in our body isn't our own. We have alien DNA. No, anyway, uh, that was a total rabbit trail. Sorry about that. So anyway, going back to mutations, once mutations give us these changes, then we have to go to natural selection, right? So these mutations give us the changes in the information, the DNA, but then natural selection starts to naturally select, uh, and yet it doesn't. Let me, let me clarify. Really what natural selection is, and there's other terms that we'll use here in just a second, it's just a observation of how nature affects populations, of how nature affects populations with this new information. So the new information gets put into a population based off mutations, and then how does that affect the population? What happens within that population? That's all natural selection is. It's an observation of what happens. It is not a selection at all. Okay, animals uh, don't decide to move into a, move in a certain direction and to change their body plans or body type or anything like that. I mean, I can't decide to suddenly have three arms and just and like just go for it. Like, ugh, you know, uh, this just doesn't happen. Okay, all we're doing is observing how normal life and nature affects these mutations. And so there's a couple of different uh, terms they use, and I'm trying not to get too sciencey. But I want to mention these because this is what you'll hear. Anytime you say, uh, well, it's just natural selection or, you know, it's just evolution, they'll throw in some other terms. They get very offended because evolution is more than just that. And so they'll say there's things like migration and genetic drift and natural selection. Well, migration and genetic drift aren't that impressive. Let's just face it. When you talk about migration, uh, basically, if you use the example, if you go to Berkeley's website, Understanding Evolution, they use the example of brown and green beetles, okay? Uh, which is kind of freaky because I don't like to think about a whole bunch of beetles walking around around me. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you look at a population of, let's say, uh, green beetles, you have a population of green beetles, and a, a brown beetle is uh, integrated into these green beetles. Well, now you're going to have more brown beetles in the population. That's it. That's migration. Like somebody migrated, became an immigrant. Sorry, that's a hot topic. But, you know, a brown beetle immigrates into the green beetles, and now you have, you're going to have more brown beetles and like a combination of green and brown beetles. That's all migration is. That's pretty simple and not impressive. Uh, genetic drift... 
I like genetic drift. It's basically like dumb luck. So like if you have brown beetles and green beetles and you're going to wind up with more brown beetles in future populations because the brown beetles wind up having more babies and then two of the green beetles get stepped on by people. Well, now you have more brown beetle babies instead of green beetle babies. Say that 10 times fast, you know. Well, that's just natural. Like, that's just an observation. Like, duh. Yeah, you're going to have more brown beetle babies, okay? That's what genetic drift is. So that's the, the wonderful explanatory power of evolution, of migration and genetic drift. That's it. So anyway, we have to look at this logically, though. Because until now, evolutionists have convinced everyone that mutations is where you get the new information and then natural selection, uh, you know, affects those mutations. And we've all believed them because we could not see what was happening in those mutations. We see that mutations happen. We see the changes from mutations. So uh, this is a real thing. That's where we get the different beaks from the uh, Darwin's finches mutations. Uh, that's why dogs look different. We see birds different. We get different species, not different families or kinds, but different species all the time because we see these mutations happening. We see these changes happening. We see mutations in bacteria. That's why they wind up being able to survive in higher uh, you know, toxic chemicals each generation, things like this. Uh, this is a real thing. Mutations and natural selection is a real thing. But we've never been able to tell what is actually happening in those mutations. So if we could see what was happening in the mutations and find out, is it that they're gaining new information? Is it, gain, is it an actual gain of function, not just a modification of a function that's already there or uh, just a switch that was being thrown back and forth and now the switch is broken and so it's always this function. But is it actually a gain of information, a gain of function, or a gain of body part? We never knew. We never knew that because we couldn't go into the genetic level. We couldn't go into the DNA and look down at the base level to the genes. You have all kinds of genes that give the instructions of how to build you and what to build you of and all that good stuff. But we have never been able to see those genes. Now, fast forward to today, we can now see those genes. So when we look at a mutation, we can go in and see exactly what's happening in the mutation. So no longer are we listening to the evolutionists and saying and hearing them say, well, we're getting all kinds of new information. This gives us all the diversity of life that we see. Uh, all this kind of stuff happens based off mutations and then acted upon by natural selection. We can actually go into the mutation, find out exactly what's happening. Is it a gain of new information? Is it a gain of functionality? And what we have found is absolutely not. It is not a gain of new information. It is not a new gain of functionality. It is not a gain of new body parts. It is nothing like that. As a matter of fact, every single time we look at a mutation, we find that it is usually a degradation of the DNA. It is a loss of information. It is the exact opposite needed for evolution. And we've been studying these mutations for a while now. Not only should we see an example of this, we should see lots of examples of this. 
if you're talking to an evolutionist, don't just ask him, hey, can you give me an example? Uh, if this is true, we should be asking for 10, 20, 30 examples of this. And there are none. Okay? Here's the problem. If mutations are now shown to not be where we're getting new information, what's the answer? As a creationist, we've been saying for a while now that information comes from intelligence. So our DNA must have come from intelligence because it is information. It is a, it's whole, a whole language of itself. It is an instruction book. It must have come from intelligence. And so we've said for a long time that information must have come from God must have come from our Creator. You think about it. If I give you a Home Depot uh, building and repair book, it's going to have step-by-step instructions on how to build things, how to repair things, how materials, or excuse me, what materials to use. And you would never assume that the book just randomly appeared. The instructions just happened to randomly form onto the pages and just happened to kind of organize themselves into the perfect instructions. No, when we look at instructions like that, we know it comes from intelligence. And that's exactly what DNA is. It is an instruction manual on building and repairing you. And there's absolutely no reason to believe that somehow those instructions or that instruction manual just happened to randomly organize itself, to randomly evolve into existence. I'm, I'm actually saying that wrong. Because I said it randomly organized itself. That gives it the ability to organize. That's intelligence. And so I'm saying that wrong. You would have to say that it randomly just evolved and just fell into place with no intelligence. We know that's not true. We understand that it's not true of the Home Depot book. We understand that it can't be true of our DNA. We know where all the information in our DNA came from. It came from intelligence. It came from our creator, our designer. It came from a loving God who created all of us. However, when evolutionists now come face to face with that fact that mutations have that they've been touting all this time don't actually give them the information they need, they simply say, well, we don't know where the information came from, But just wait, we just haven't found the answer yet. Now, is that a good answer? Is that a valid answer? I don't think that it is. I don't think that that's a valid answer. Why don't I think that's a valid answer? You think about it. The whole idea of amoeba to man evolution, new body parts, brand new functionality, new information is a made-up concept. Okay, get that. It's a made-up concept. It's a story that evolutionists tell people to try to explain the world around them without God. Do you get that we have never seen any of these three things? We've never seen a brand new body parts coming into existence uh, just just out of nothing, Not, not a modification of one, out of nothing. We've never seen brand new functionality that isn't a modification of one already existing. We've never seen new information that isn't due to deletion or duplication or coming being spread through another organism. These things have never been observed. It is a made-up story. And they're saying, well, but just wait. We haven't found the answer yet, but just wait. You think of fossils. They say, well, we can look at fossils and see these body changes. No, because fossils don't tell you anything. 
The only thing you know for certain about a fossil when you find it is, and you've heard this from a lot of creationists, he's dead. Okay, That's the only thing you know about him. Uh, now, you can find out some of the things he eats if uh, you find the gut contents and stuff. Uh, maybe you find another fish inside of a, a dinosaur or something like that. So you can find out some information, but what do you really know for sure? Let's say you find a, a fish inside its stomach. Do you know that it only ate fish? Nope. You do know that it did eat fish at one time, at least once. But do you really know what its diet was? No, of course you don't. And so we have to be very careful with this whole answer of, well, just wait, we just haven't found the answer yet. It's a made-up question. For them, it's a made-up question. Where did all the information come from? Well, it came from, you know, these natural, natural processes. Okay, so where, what natural process brings us new information? That's a made-up question because we've never observed it. It was an illogical, made-up answer in the first place, and it's time people understood the truth and embraced the fact that they were wonderfully and fearfully made by a Creator, by God. And it's time people understand that they can trust God's Word, and it's time that people understand that evolution is simply man's attempt to explain away God. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope you will come back and learn more as we edify one another and glorify the Lord. Please do comment, share, like, subscribe, and every other option that you can. Number one, because I love to hear your feedback. And number two, because this is what kicks in the algorithms to get this in front of more people. Look, I'm going to go ahead and link several articles on my website about this topic. So if you're interested in the topic, understand more about what I talked about, check out the website, centraltexascreation.com. You can go to the 624 episodes and find that there. Uh, there's a famous quote. Actually, I don't know if it's famous or not, to tell the truth. I just remember reading it, uh, and I should look it up before I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, it basically says, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And that's what I want to do here. I don't want to only use my materials. I don't only want people to think that I'm the person who comes up with stuff because obviously I'm not that intelligent and you would see right through that. Uh, but I want to be able to link to other ministries and, and give you more articles and information so that you can learn this stuff and actually share it with others. And so together we can accomplish more. So check out the website, centraltexascreation.com. Go to the 624 and to the episodes, and you'll find more links for this stuff. And we'll start talking about more resources that you can get as you go through this journey of learning that we can trust God's Word every single day. But until next time, I pray that God would bless you with knowledge to know Him and courage to share Him. Thank you for listening to The 624 the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries. Join us again next time as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. To learn more, visit our website at www.centraltexascreation.com.